why don't you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's page 758 in this Bible. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. Uh, if you're not familiar, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. There's a good chance at some point this morning, you, or you said something like this. Uh, we have to get ready to go to church. Or, or maybe this weekend you said something like, hey, what are we going to do after church on Sunday? Like that this... What we're doing right now, they're passing the offering. We just sang some songs, and I'm going to talk for a few minutes. And then, like, this is church, right? That's kind of the way we use that word a lot, that this activity that we're doing now is church. And in a, in a little bit, whenever this guy's done yammering, uh, we'll go somewhere else, and that won't be church anymore. Uh, but in the first century A.D., uh, as we read the book of Acts, uh, for the people of the first church, that kind of language wouldn't have made any sense, I heard uh, Andy Stanley explain it this way one time. As Jesus pictured it, and as it started in the book of Acts, the church was supposed to be a movement. Not a place or an institution, but it was a movement. It was uh, a movement built around a conviction that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died and was raised from the dead. And that's really what drove the first church. Uh, You see, all these guys who were like broken, scaredy cats, really, before Jesus died... After they see him resurrected and walking around in resurrected form, what they see is these guys that are brave and bold, fearless, unbreakable men of God. And because of the resurrection, because of the person of Jesus Christ, these men were now going out everywhere and telling people what they've seen and warning people to repent, to turn away from their sin for salvation. It was a movement of people, and that was the way that Jesus designed the church. In fact, in the New Testament, the word that we most often translate as church in English, English is the word ekklesia. Uh, it's a Greek word that means a gathering of people. Uh, in fact, the word ekklesia, if you break it down, is ek, which means, uh, ek means out of, and uh, kaleo means called. So it's like a group of people who were called out around a, an idea, around an event, or in this case, around a person, the person of Jesus Christ. But over the years, something happened. Uh, The church grew, it gained popularity, it gained power, some structure was needed, Uh, people were put in power, the church started to have some money and more influence and more power, and it began to build bigger and bigger buildings, cathedrals, you know, some of the most beautiful buildings in the world, anywhere in the world, are these churches that were built in the Middle Ages, these huge cathedrals that are supposed to be uh, monuments to the Almighty God that, that often uh, now we just look at for the architecture. Um, but these places, and as a result of this, people began to think of the, the church as a place, a place that you would gather, a place that people would come for worship uh, rather than a movement. In fact, our English word for church comes not from the word ecclesia, which church at ecclesia don't sound anything alike, right? It comes from the German word kirche, which means a place, a place of worship. And so somewhere along the way, church stopped being a movement and it became a place, which is an important distinction because places generally don't move, right? Movements move. Places don't move. Places generally stay in place, which is why they're called places. And so the church became this institution that basically provided services for people and was controlled by powerful people who wanted to use it for their own interests. But then something awesome happened. God raised up a group of people called the Reformers. 
But one of these reformers was a guy by the name of William Tyndale. You've probably heard of Tyndale House Publishing, maybe, um, named after William Tyndale. Tyndale was a guy who uh, came to the conviction that Christianity was supposed to be a movement. He remembered uh, what Jesus had taught, what we see in the book of Acts. And if people were going to be devoted to that movement, they needed to have access to the message. See, in those days, most of the Bibles were owned by the church itself, by the, by the institution of the church. Now, the priests were the ones that had access to the Bible before this. And so Tyndale decided if people were going to have the message, they needed to have a Bible. And so he was going to find a way to print a Bible in common English for the common man. And so that's what he did. And every time as he translated that Bible into common English, every time he came to the word ecclesia, the Greek word, he translated it as congregation instead of church. And that made people mad because it emphasized the church being a movement and not a, an institution, not a place of power. And the infuriated church leaders uh, had their authority undermined. And eventually Tyndale was tried as a heretic and burned at the stake, if you can imagine, in England for distributing Bibles. And as he was, uh, as he was being burned, his last recorded words were, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Did that prayer work? Well, if you've ever owned a King James Bible in your life, uh, you probably know the answer to that. You see that God answered that prayer. It's a great reminder for us that the church is not a building. It's not a place that you come to on Sunday morning. When it's working right, the church is a movement. It's a movement of people uh, responsible for sharing the good news of Christ. We are convicted that Christ died for all, that he was raised from the dead, that he's alive and living today. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's leading his church. He's interceding on our behalf with prayers. And because Jesus is there, we have this movement of people that are going to go tell people about him. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what we're after. We want to be about that ministry and that message. And as we talked about last week, um, my hope and my prayer is that every person will believe and understand that we have a part to play. Each one of us has a part to play in sharing that message. So we're in week two of this series called The Harvest. Uh, What's the harvest? It's the harvest uh, Jesus was talking about in John 4.35 when he says, I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And I think you know that Jesus isn't talking about corn here. There is more than corn in Indiana. Uh, When Jesus is talking about the harvest, he's talking about people. It's the process of bringing people into his kingdom, or as we like to call it at Genesis, helping people find their way back to God. That's our mission as a church. Genesis has always been about the harvest. Since day one, that's been our mission, helping people find their way back to God. And it's the conviction behind everything that we do today. So as we think about the past, we've always been about the harvest. We think about what we do today. We're about the harvest. We're about helping people find their way back to God. And it's about everything that we see God doing in the future. And so the goal with this series, what we talked about is we want to tell you what we're all about. But we also want to provide uh, for you some things uh, that God is doing, what God's teaching us. And what I said last week, and this is universally true for us as a church, is we want to see where God's already at work. And we want to come alongside him at work. Because look, if we try to do a lot of the things that we're doing on our own, we will fail. And it will not be good, and the church, the universal church, will not get a good name for that. And so what we want to do is look for the places where God is already at work and just join him at that. And so one of the most important things that we're learning that we talked about last week is the importance of getting every Christ follower involved in the mission. We call this disciple-making. Now, disciple-making is the process of reaching new people, leading them to Christ, helping them grow in their faith, and then sending them out to help reach other people. We've talked uh, often from this stage about the four chairs. You know, the chair one person is a seeker. 
Um, they respond to the, the call of Jesus, come and see. And if they respond to that call and they, they start to follow him, they become a chair two follower. Uh, Jesus said, follow me. And then uh, as a chair two person grows, they move into chair three where they, uh, they um, become more concerned about helping other people grow in their faith. And uh, the call was from Jesus was to follow me and I'll teach you to fish for people or I'll make you a fisher of men. And then people who are in chair three, as they grow, they became a, a chair four disciple maker where Jesus at near the end of his life said, go and bear fruit, bear much fruit, uh, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so what we want to do is grow people from chair one seekers into chair two followers, chair three uh, kingdom workers and chair four disciple makers. That's what we're all about. So last week we talked about how every person has a part to play in helping people find their way back to God. We, we went through second Corinthians five where the apostle Paul gave us a word a job title, if you will, for what we're supposed to do as disciple makers. Does anybody remember what Paul called us from last week? He said, he said yeah, we're ambassadors, right? He said, we are ambassadors. Uh, that, that we are, uh, an ambassador is a person who lives in a place that's not their home, but they represent their homeland. And that we are not, uh, as Christ followers, we are not from this place. We are from heaven. We are citizens of heaven. The Bible says we are citizens of heaven. We are living on earth, and we are supposed to represent heaven on earth. We are ambassadors. Well, this week in the scripture I want to, uh, we're going to look at here in just a second, Jesus is going to give us another job title. So we're going to be, we're ambassadors. That's what Paul says. But Jesus is going to give us another job title, um, another job to do. It has everything to do with helping people find their way back to God all over the globe. But before we get to the text itself, I'm going to give you a little background on what's happened before Acts 1. Uh, when we catch up with Jesus and his disciples, uh, Jesus has been crucified. He's raised from the dead and 40 days have passed. So he's been walking the earth in resurrected form for 40 days. And the scene is the Mount of Olives. Um, it's what we refer to as the ascension. Right after this happens, right after Jesus speaks these words, he's going to ascend into heaven and he's going to be there forever. You know, he's going to go back to his father in heaven. So these are his final words. The very last thing he says to his disciples. So it's uh, authoritative. It's of great importance. You all know that whatever, if, so, if you've got something you need to say to someone and it's your last words, it's probably going to be important, right? Uh, Jesus is going to use these final words to remind people of their responsibility. And here it is. Acts 1, 8 is the verse we're going to focus on. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay, stop right there for a second. Let's don't miss this because the guys that heard this, the people that heard this originally probably missed the significance of this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you because they really hadn't seen the Holy Spirit at work. I mean, they'd seen him in Jesus, but they don't really know what to think about Jesus because Jesus is so different from anything they've experienced. Why is Jesus so different from everything they've experienced? Because he's led by the Holy Spirit and they hadn't seen that before in anybody. So when Jesus says, you will receive power, oh really, what kind of power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, Holy Spirit, who's this guy? That's what they're thinking. So let's don't miss this because we have the benefit of 2,000 years of background in scripture to rely on, to know that the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of God, that the Holy Spirit gives you power. When you receive Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and gives you power. What kind of power? Wouldn't you like to know? Hey, uh, we have a class that we teach a couple times a year called Wired. If you go to Wired, uh, we talk all about spiritual gifts, that when you become a follower of Jesus and you get the Holy Spirit living in you, the Holy Spirit gives you power. It's all kinds of power. So anyway, these believers, they're going to find out in the next chapter, what that looks like when the Holy Spirit comes on them on Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes into this building where they're meeting like a roaring wind. 
and they get the ability to heal people and to preach the word of God. And why? Because they received power when the Holy Spirit came on them. I want, to, I want you to know that that same power is available to you and me today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us as followers of Jesus. And so when you become a follower, the Holy Spirit comes on you and that same power that Jesus had becomes your power. That's what Jesus is telling him. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says, and you will be my, now here's the word, you will be my witnesses. See, this is the new job title that Jesus gives us. You will be my witnesses. Paul says we're ambassadors. Jesus says we will be witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness for Christ? So what Jesus is saying is you're going to receive power and you're going to go out and share my story. You're going to talk about the power you've received. You're going to talk about what you've seen. You're going to talk about what you've heard. You're going to come alongside others. You're going to love people the way God loves them. You're going to help lead them to Christ. You're going to receive power to be courageous. That's one of the things that we see in these first disciples. These guys really were. They were scaredy cats when they were walking with Jesus. And now after they see him resurrected, they're bold and they can't, you can't shut them up anymore. Because of what they've seen. They said in, in Acts, uh, Acts 5, I think it is, they said, uh, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard, right? They become witnesses. Uh, you know, in Romans 8, Paul writes, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now think about that. The, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and all of a sudden you don't have to be a slave to fear anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have power. You may have never used it. You may have never realized it was there. But if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit brought about your adoption and you received power when he came to you. He received power to become a witness for God. Now what does a witness do? If you think about a witness in terms of a court case, a witness testifies to what they've seen. Right? A witness is somebody who saw something important happen and then goes and tells people about it. That's, that's what a witness does. It's very simple. So that's, uh, then Jesus is going to go on in the rest of this verse, and he's going to set the expectation for us. And that's where we're going to focus the rest of the morning. He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What did it mean? What Jesus was trying to tell them is... Um, this isn't going to end with you. That this is the start of a movement that's going to eventually take over the world. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. It's going to start in Jerusalem, yeah, and then it's going to spread to all of Judea and then to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So take a look at this map here. I think I've got a map in here. Um, you can see Jerusalem is uh, right about in the center of the screen. It's part of Judea. So if you think about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the city they were in or near. Actually, the Mount of Olives is about a half a mile from uh, where Jerusalem, the center of Jerusalem would have been. So these guys on this mountain, these guys and ladies, uh, whoever was up there with Jesus would have been able to look down on Jerusalem. So when Jesus told them this, he says, you'll be my witnesses down there in Jerusalem. But also, not just there, but in all of Judea. Now Judea, if you think about it this way, this is not exactly correct, but think about Jerusalem as the city, Judea as the state. Right, So uh, Judea is a wider area. It's a regional area. So you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, but it's not going to stop there. You're going to go to Samaria too. Samaria is a different cat altogether uh, because Samaria is not just, a, it's a little further out. That's true. But it's the place that nobody wanted to go. And if you remember uh, in the book of John, uh, the disciples are going through Samaria and uh, the, they were amazed that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. 
because people from Israel just didn't affiliate with people from Samaria. It's, it's a more difficult neighbor. It's a hostile neighbor. There are great differences, both uh, ethnically and spiritually. It's a place where people really didn't want to go. But Jesus says, you're going to go there. And finally, he says, to the ends of the earth. And uh, that's exactly what it sounds like. Every place the gospel hasn't been yet, you're going to go there. And you're going to teach people about me. You're going to do it. You're going to do it. But you're going to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and give you power. And then you're going to go be my witnesses. And you're going to do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Interestingly enough, that verse is what's really provided our vision for the way that we do outreach and church planning here at Genesis Church. We look at Jerusalem as like local area, and then Judea is a little more regional, and Samaria is a little more regional and some tough areas, and then to the ends of the earth is kind of our uh, global thought. So if you've been around Genesis very long, you've probably heard us talking about some of our outreach partners. Maybe you've heard us as we do our Christmas drive for Food for Souls, and well, what do they do, and what's, what are they all about? And Shepherd Community Center... Uh, over spring break, when you do spring break totes. And maybe you've heard us talking about Haiti. You know, we've got a group of students who are going to Haiti here pretty soon. And um, we've got some adults that are going in just a couple of weeks. And so maybe you've heard us talk about Nehemiah Vision Ministries down there. Why do we partner with them? Maybe you've had that question. Or, or, or what about church planning? Where does that fit in? Why do we send money to, to other churches? Why do we help plant churches? Why do we do stuff like that? And it's because people are dying faster than they can find their way back to God. And there are other organizations, other places that are doing incredible work that have great expertise in areas that we don't have the expertise. But what we do have is we've got a little bit of money and we've got some people that we can send. And that motivates us. That that idea that people are dying before they can find their way back to God, it motivates us to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so right here in central Indiana and organizations all over the world, there are people, there are organizations who are helping people find their way back to God in ways that we don't have the expertise for, but we've got some money that we can send and we've got people that we can send. In fact, we give one-tenth of our total offering for the entire year. We give one-tenth of it uh, goes right back out to our outreach partners. So for every $10 you give to this church, $1 goes right back outside these doors uh, to one of our outreach partners or church planning in a, uh, to help people find their way back to God in a local, glo- regional, or local uh, regional or global context. And so maybe we thought it would help maybe to get a picture as we think about our vision for our church and where we're going, get a picture of who these people are that we're partnering with. So I'm going to go through these really quick. There are many more uh, details on our website. Um, also, every slide on here, I think, has their website, so you can go and check out more about these organizations yourself. So first, uh, Food for Souls. Food for Souls is a a local organization. It's based out of Indy. Um, Their mission is we exist to go out and serve our homeless community with unconditional love and acceptance by providing hope in Christ, meeting daily needs, and aligning resources to those who are ready to move into a life beyond homelessness. You know, we collect winter supplies for this ministry every December. Uh, We've done it for three years now, I think. Uh, Part of their work involves sending serving teams down to Indianapolis to the several different homeless camps every Sunday. They do it every Sunday. They did it Christmas Day. They did it New Year's Day. Um, we'll be sending each uh, teams each month for the next six months. Uh, we've added more teams. Those are all full, I just heard this morning. Um, but we're going to go down and help serve these meals. Uh, you can find out more about them at foodforsouls.org. The second one is Shepherd Community Center. Shepherd is a local organization. They're based on the east side of Indianapolis. 
Shepherd, here's, uh, Shepherd Community Center works with neighborhood youth and their families to break the cycle of poverty on the Near East Side of Indianapolis by engaging and empowering the community to cultivate healthy children, strong families, and vibrant neighborhoods through a Christ-centered approach that meets the spiritual, physical, emotional, and academic needs of our neighbors. Uh, their ministry includes a school, some after-school programs, student, family, and neighborhood ministries. Uh, they have um, s- several campuses of a church that they've started in really some cool places. Um, we fill and pack food totes for them at spring break every year. Uh, many students in Shepherd's Ministries are in the IPS schools, and several, many of them don't eat except when they're at school, or they get two meals a day, and they get their two meals a day, breakfast and lunch at school. And so over spring break, when they've got two weeks spring break, um, they may not eat or may not eat very much. And so we send food down to Shepherd Community. Uh, they get a take-a-tote home that has enough food for them to have breakfast and lunch uh, over spring break. And so that's the kind of thing that we do when we partner with Shepherd. Now, we don't have the expertise to break the cycle of poverty in Indianapolis, but Shepherd does. And so we, we and, and here's what you'll see in all of our ministry partners. I want to make sure that we're clear on this. We don't want to partner with anybody that we can just send money to. I mean, you can write a check, and that's good, and that's helpful, it's useful, but we want a partner where we can send money and send people and have a reciprocal relationship where we can learn from them, uh, we can have people involved, we can pray for them, we can know that they're praying for us. And so if this kind of thing gets you excited, you don't have to wait for Genesis to announce the next Shepherd uh, event. Shepherd, in particular, is very, very good at getting people connected uh, immediately, getting them connected right away. So if you go to shepherdcommunity.org, um, you'll find all kinds of volunteer opportunities on their website. Okay, our third partner is a local partner, Young Life. Uh, we partner with Young Life in Westfield and Noblesville. Their mission is introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Young Life does a great job of building relationships with our schools. They're in places in the schools where we can't go as a church. Um, they have a unique way of reaching kids that sometimes we, they won't come to our church. They, these kids that they reach, a lot of times they won't come to church. Um, but they'll go to a Young Life meeting with their friend because it's in the school. It's right there. And because we are all about helping students find their way back to God, we partner with Young Life in Noblesville and in Westfield. We have several uh, Young Life students actually here today. And so we'll have here more in the second service, I'm sure. So their uh, website, they have, their main website is younglife.org. They have a noblesville.younglife.org and Westfield.yl. .younglife.org. Does anybody know if that's right? Does that sound right to you guys? Do you know? No? They're all kind of going, mm, I don't know. I never go to the website. What's the web? That's, um, so those are our three uh, local partners. Next, Restored. Restored is a ministry that's based in Indianapolis, but it's more regional. Uh, this is a brand new partnership for Genesis. We're really excited. We're really hopeful to make a difference in Restored. Um, Restored's hope is to provide services, outreach, and education to young girls between the ages of 11 and 24 who have been victimized by domestic sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Now, their reach, as I said, extends way beyond Indianapolis. Um, And if you want to find out more about this ministry, restoredinc.org, restoredinc.org. This is is one where... um, Like I said, it's brand new. It's just developing. So we don't know exactly how we're going to get involved with them, um, but we're very excited about the possibilities. Uh, We'll go a little more international now. Nehemiah Vision Ministries uh, is our partner in Haiti. If you've ever met Esperon Dupierre, the pastor who leads Nehemiah Vision Ministries, you can probably recite their mission by heart. It's moving people from darkness to light and from hopelessness to eternal life. If you know (laughs) Pastor Pierre, 
what an incredible man. Uh, their ministry consists of churches, uh, schools, medical clinics, and various programs. We send teams uh, usually twice a year. We've done that for the past at least seven years that I can remember. Um, we've got a team of 20 adults going in February. We've got a team of students that are going in July, and they are meeting in the second service today, right, Danielle, in Studio F? H. That's what I meant, H. Studio H. And so it if you're not signed up, but you're a high school student and you're thinking about going to Haiti, uh, go to Studio H after this service and meet Danielle. She'd love to tell you more about that trip. Uh, NVM.org. NVM.org. Uh, Opportunities Now is another international partner. This is one that's become particularly close to my heart. Uh, Opportunities Now exists to alleviate poverty and unemployment in Myanmar by funding and mentoring small business owners. Where is Myanmar? Myanmar is a, a small country in Southeast Asia wedged between uh, Thailand and Bangladesh. Um, used to be called Burma. In fact, the U.S. government and the English government still call it Burma. Everybody else in the world calls it Myanmar. Um, and uh, I am going there in two weeks. In two weeks from today, I will be back in Myanmar for the second time in a year. Our plan is to send two to three small teams a year. Um, small, they're going to be two to four people. Um, my really good friend Steve Davis and I are going in a couple weeks. And uh, it's an incredible opportunity for business people who maybe are more comfortable with a calculator than a hammer. Uh, We don't go to Myanmar and build anything. We go and we teach entrepreneurs how to run a business. And the cool thing about opportunities now is they want people to learn how to run a business with a kingdom impact. And so everything they do is based around how to make your business uh, honor Christ in Uh, in your business. How do you treat employees? How do you treat your customers? How do you uh, give money to the church? All that stuff is incorporated in there. It's really, really cool. Uh, Ohnowmyanmar.org. That that one you'll probably have to Google. Ohnowmyanmar.org. Our next international partner is ICF in Albania. International Christian Fellowship is a church in Tirana, Albania, uh, serving a country that is less than 1% Christian. ICF is uh, helping people find their way back to God. That's their mission as well, by the way. And not only in their church, but God has given them some amazing influence with other churches uh, in Albania, but also in the whole Balkan region. In fact, uh, Paul Mumar, our lead pastor, is going there in February. Um, he uh, He has led two trips there, I think, including one last November, a year ago, November, November 2015, that Cameron, Cameron went to that one, I think, as well. Um, and so we, uh, they've gone over there. They hosted a, a big gathering for college students. Uh, Albania is a very young country demographically. There's a lot of high school and college-age kids, and the church uh, that's there is a very young church as well. Uh, Paul is going in February to teach at a church planning conference that ICF is hosting. They're going to have over 100 pastors. Think about this. In a country that's less than 1% Christian, they're going to have over 100 pastors come to this pastor's conference where Pastor Paul is going to teach. Our hope is to send a team from Genesis again uh, near the end of October this year, and they'll work with ICF and and others from the U.S. in offering English classes for college students, so teaching Albanian Albanian students to speak English. Uh, ICF.al is their website, and if you want the English version, put that little slash E-N in there. If you speak Albanian, just go to (laughs) ICF.al. But if you want the English one, that dash E-N gets you there. My point in sharing these is to let you know that we've got some exciting partnerships, that God is doing amazing work. And like I said, we're just coming alongside where he's already at work. And our, our goal, as I said, is to be able to support these partners financially and with people, but we want to have a reciprocal relationship. They know things that we don't know. One of the biggest mistakes you can make as an American, and for any of you who've ever gone on a mission trip, you know this. And if you're thinking about going on a mission trip, I want you to know this. One of the biggest mistakes that we sometimes make as an American is we're going to go in and teach them how to do something. 
And the truth is that they know things that we don't know. And we need to learn from them as well. All of our partners have something or some things that we can really learn from. Now, with some of these, there are great opportunities to serve. I've talked about for some, uh, for others, the partnership's really just coming together. But no matter who it is, I just want to invite you to pursue some of these partners on your own. The real win for us is when people like you get involved uh, directly with these organizations. I want to mention one more area where God is uh, working and moving, and it has to do with church planning. Uh, For six years now, right before I came on staff, we got involved with an organization called the New Thing Network. New Thing is a a group out of Chicago. Uh, It's not a denomination. Think instead uh, cheerleader for church planters. New Thing is all about multi-site. started with uh, churches who are a multi-site church, but they've really gotten into, grown into church planting. Uh, Their expertise is in helping churches reproduce themselves and reproduce their influence around the world. That new thing has a shared goal of 10,000 churches by 2020, 10,000 churches. And their goal to do is to do that through a series of networks. Uh, they form networks. A network is a, is a group of five churches working together. Um, and we have the uh, divine opportunity uh, to be a part at the forefront of a church planning movement in Indiana. In fact, our lead pastor, Paul Mumal, is the network leader for now two networks of churches in Indiana, two new thing networks of churches in Indiana. Um, this Indiana movement is currently made up of eight churches that represent Noblesville, Carmel, uh, Bloomington, Kokomo, Logansport, and St. John, Indiana. And so we're talking and dreaming about how we might be able to start a movement of new churches all throughout Indiana. Basically, what if churches could work together to plant other churches, to share resources, to identify regions and areas of the state that are not being served well uh, by Bible-believing churches? I mean, it drives me crazy when every church in Indiana is wanting to plant in Fishers or Westfield. You know, that, like God's calling us to Fishers. Well, God's calling everybody to Fishers, right? I mean, I don't get mad at churches who do that. I understand why you would put, I mean, you get people coming to your church and they're from Fishers and there's not another whatever in Fishers church, right? But how many, church, Fishers needs more churches. There's no doubt about it. But man, doesn't Tipton, doesn't Elwood, And what about these communities that don't get reached with the gospel? There are 92 counties in Indiana. And what we're dreaming about as New Thing Indiana is what if we could have a church, at least one church in every county that's teaching the Bible, that's accessible to people, and that's that's reaching people, helping people find their way back to God in that county. I mean, there are 50 of us in Hamilton County. What if there were two in Tipton County, you know? And so that's what we're dreaming about as a New Thing Network. And one of the reasons that we are so adamant about church planning is because we don't have all the people to go reach all of these places, but we do have some money and we do have some resources that we can send. And when we find people that are passionate about that, we want to get behind them. If God's working in them, we want to get behind them and help them do that. So like outreach, church planning is another area where we see God moving and bringing people together. And and I don't know where it's going to lead, but I love the idea of Genesis investing prayers and people and money in new churches around Indiana and reaching people even right here in all of Judea uh, for the gospel. Think about where that might lead. Think about about how that might involve some of you. You know, we had Craig Nisley from Grace Church Bloomington up here uh, this past summer, I think. And we told you, if God's calling you to Bloomington to go help plant a church, even if it's for six months or a year, go with Craig. You know, there'll probably be more of that coming up. I love the thought of working with other churches to plant new churches. And let's work together to figure out where they're supposed to go. It's going to happen. There's going to come a day when some of you are going to feel the call to be a part of a new church plant. And we'd like to be the kind of church that would send you out to do that. Do you know how most church plants start? 
It starts by somebody in a church that has this idea that God plants in their heart that they want to go plant a church. And in most cases, it's when their leadership doesn't get behind that idea. And so they have to go out and go somewhere else and plant their church. And then six other churches see that idea and go, well, that's a really great idea. We should get behind that. So why don't we as a church, why don't we just get behind the church planner? I mean, one of you guys might be a church planner someday. And you're going to come to me with an idea and you say, I'm going to, I think I'm being called to plant a church somewhere. And we're going to go, yes, yes, go do it and take some people with you. And let me tell you who they're going to be. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking. I'm just joking. Well, I hope all that helps. I mean, I hope it paints a picture of what we're doing and where we're moving and uh, where it might lead from here. Why do we do it? Why do we invest in these things? Well, we're all about the harvest. We want to be about helping people find their way back to God because people are dying faster than they can find their way back to God. And partnerships like these are helping fulfill our mission as a church. And so Genesis has always been about the harvest. Our mission will uh, always involve bringing in the harvest. I want to show you one other thing in John uh, 4.35 where Jesus talks about the harvest. Look at this verse again. He says, I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. The word is fields. When Jesus talked about fields, he's imagining that anywhere we go and encounter people is a field, right? What might that mean for you? As you think about the part you play in helping people find their way back to God, does, does one of these ministry partners like jump out at you? You feel God tugging on your heart to maybe get involved in one of these places. Maybe your heart starts beating a little faster when you hear about what they're doing. Maybe it's not one of these at all. Maybe your harvest field is a place where you're already working. Maybe it's your, your neighborhood, your, your school, your work. You know, here, here's what can sometimes be overwhelming for people, and I've heard it from some of you before, and I, I, I know it. I get it. We, we talk about getting involved in outreach, and you think, okay, well, I've got to do that. And we do a series on reaching your neighbor, and you're like, well, okay, I need to be doing that. And we talk about, well, it's important to you know, uh, invest in your kid's soccer team and well, you've got to go to the people in your workplace, and you've got to invest in them. And then, well, I, I've still got to run my family, right? I've got to lead my family. And, oh, what about my relatives at Christmas? I've got to go uh, be a shining light for Jesus at, at Christmas dinner. And you start to get this overwhelming sense of, I'm just not doing enough. It can be like uh, looking at um, harvest fields, uh, an aerial view of harvest fields. You think about this. If you ever fly out of Indianapolis International Airport, you don't fly very far before all you see is cornfields, right? And you look down and you go, there's a cornfield and there's a cornfield and there's a cornfield and there's a cornfield and there's a cornfield. And it can be like that, that you think, okay, uh, my work is a harvest field. My kid's soccer team is a harvest field. Uh, my school is a harvest field. Uh, my neighbors are a harvest field. Um, you know, food for souls is a harvest field. And you start picking out of each harvest field. And all of a sudden, what you realize is, I've done a little bit of picking. I've done a little bit of reaping in every place. But none of these fields is getting harvested. And so what we want you to do is, like, find a harvest field, wherever it is, and, and start harvesting. You find a place where God has called you to do, to God called you to do his work and start harvesting. And so one of the reasons we present all these outreach opportunities, all these church planting opportunities, to give you an idea of what might be your harvest field. We wanted to share with you today one story of a guy who uh, is confident he's found his harvest field. Take a look at this. Several years ago, we started a business. Uh, it's called Factor, and we do sales and marketing tools for manufacturing suppliers. Through this time, we've really been able to do uh, build relationships with people 
and identified that uh, uh, God has a harvest field in manufacturing and we're uniquely positioned to be workers in that harvest field. We provide uh, a service of value, so through that we've established relationships and through the relationships we've uncovered that we really get to know people on a personal level. All our members have uh, one-on-one meetings together and we, uh, uh, part of the one-on-one meeting is to ask them what they care about um, and or, or what their purpose is. And when uh, you ask other people that, naturally they're going to return, ask you, okay, what do you care about? What is your purpose? And that's a perfect chance for us to share the hope that we have in Jesus. After you share your own testimony, they're naturally going to come back and say, well, I'm a Christian too, or I believe in Jesus too, or that's great. <laughs> and they'll just kind of change the subject and move on. And, um, and if we find their loss, then we, we pray for them. And we, some people we feel led to be intentional with, and some people we don't. We have a passion for the Great Commission because others have invested in us, and we know we can't repay them. And uh, uh, so one of the ways that we uh, can live that out is in the, the marketplace that we've been called to, and, and for us that's manufacturing. about Caleb is he is laser focused on this community. He is laser focused. He knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing, where he's supposed to be spending his time. It's one of the things that drives me crazy about him too, because I'll say, Caleb, I'd like for you and Aaron to lead a connection group. He's like, nope. And if it's not manufacturing, I'm not going to do it. I go, come on, man. But at the same time, like he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. He's laser focused on this harvest field. He is going to harvest that entire field. And I'm really proud of him for that. You know, he's found his field. He's found his work. He's praying. He's investing. He's sharing. And you have a field too. God wants to use you to share your faith and, to, to, and share your hope with others. He wants to use you to help people find their way back to God. Now, what is the expectation for us? Like how far did Jesus expect us to take this? What, what level of commitment are we supposed to have? Well, if you look back to Acts 1.8, what you'll see is uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, that's the word that he gave us, that word that's translated witnesses there is the Greek word martis. It's where we get the English word martyr. Jesus is basically telling his followers, you're going to have to lay down your life for this cause. He's saying, you might, you might lose your life. And, and, and this was so prescient because every one of the uh, 12 disciples, save one, gave up their life for the cause of Jesus. John was the only one. Uh, that survived for their cause of seeing the gospel spread to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. William Tyndale, who we talked about earlier, was burned at the stake. He wanted to get a Bible in the hands of every Englishman, and he was martyred for that. Now, you may not have to give up your physical life for Jesus. You may, but you may not. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, we face an incredibly high calling In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? For me, every morning, I have to choose to die to myself 
and my desires and my wants so that Christ can be supreme in my life. You know, this, this is my field. You, you guys are my field. This is where I'm called to work and people are dying faster than they can find their way back to God. And there's only one movement, the church, that Jesus is using to reach these people. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your beautiful bride. And God, I am just overwhelmed by the responsibility that you've placed on us to go and reach Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But God, I'm comforted today that you didn't send us alone, that you have given us your Holy Spirit and the power that comes with them to go reach those places. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be passionate about the work that you've called us to. Help us to find where you are working and come alongside you. And I'm not just talking about Genesis Church and and the leadership and the staff here. I'm talking about each and every one of us. Help us to be laser focused on the work that you're doing in and around us and helping us to find how we can come alongside you there, God. We need that. If we're gonna fulfill this commission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, Lord, we need your power. We need your Holy Spirit. We need to follow you, Jesus. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this last song we're gonna sing is,